Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Ken F. was recorded on June 30th, 2022. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Ken, and I am a very extremely grateful recovering child. And uh, just, I would have never thought when I was growing up that I would ever be in a position here sitting in a house like this in front of a computer talking to people about my experiences because uh, they seemed minimal and they seemed not to count. So this is an amazing thing and I have a lot of gratitude for being here today. Now this is my spiritual journey that I would like to share and uh, there is some religion involved but the, the reality is I, I want you guys to connect on a spiritual level because to me that's the most important thing because it's extremely personal and uh, I usually don't even share much about my, my spiritual journey because it is so personal and um, don't expect anybody to relate with it because it's, it's personal and everybody has their own experiences. But uh, there is a journey here and a beginning and a middle end, uh, or at least where I am today, and I'd like to share that with you. My household growing up as a child, there really was no religion in the house. And I actually brought um, a visual today Inside this box is an ornament that used to go on the very top of our Christmas tree. And I remember once when I was about four or five years old, my dad, as, as he was setting up the tree, because we were not allowed to touch it, uh, we just watched as he did everything. And he told me the story of Christmas and how Christmas was about uh, a couple that had to go into town and pay their taxes and the woman was pregnant and all the motels were full so they ended up sleeping in a barn and everybody felt so sorry for this child that they came and gave him gifts and one of the gifts that was given to the child was this star so the whole world celebrates christmas because of this star that i'm holding in my hand right now and that might not have been how my dad told the story but that's how I heard the story. So for years, I really thought that Christmas revolved around the star until I realized it had to do more with um, Charlie Brown Christmas. So not a lot of religious uh, religion in my house. If there was any religion, the religion came from a person called Emily Post, who was Miss Manners, and everything in the house was pretty much guided whether... Um, whether it was something that Emily Post, you know, which way the toilet paper would hang, something my parents would argue over often. And my mother would always bring out the Emily Post quotes because that must be the right way to do it. So not a lot of spirituality or religion in my household growing up. When I was in about sixth grade, uh, there was a neighborhood girl that was going to a church and she asked me if I would go along with her uh, because if the kids brought in other people to the church, the kid who brought the most guests in got a free trip to Disneyland. And I thought this girl was cute and I wanted to go to Disneyland with her. So I said, sure, I will go to church with you. Not that I was looking forward to it. And 
going, I, I really kind of started questioning and, and growing. And I think one reason looking back now is I didn't have a lot of positive role models at home, especially a lot of positive male role models. And I think there were people in the church that I was emulating with and attaching to that were really positive. So I was getting something very positive out of the experience. And um, the girl, she stopped coming after a while. But I continued to go. And I think I was in seventh or eighth grade at the time. And the high school college kids had a bicycle event where they were getting shipped up north past Santa Barbara and they were going to spend five days riding their bicycles back to Orange County, California. And that sounded wonderful. It sounded like everything that I did not have at my house. There were, you know, being around a lot of people, having role models, doing something physical and camping, something that I just desired and really wanted to do. And I think most importantly, I wanted to get out of the house. So I did this journey with the church. And uh, the thing I didn't like about it was every night before dinner, we had to memorize Bible verses and we weren't allowed to eat until we could uh, recite the Bible verses. And I don't have the best memory in the world. So that wasn't something that I really liked, but I really liked just the whole camaraderie. Uh, I had to fight to get on the trip because I was this skinny little insecure kid and I was in junior high school at the time and this was for the big kids and I had to prove myself. I had to prove that I could keep up with them, that even though I didn't look like I was athletic, I could ride a bike, I could do 50, 60 miles in a day and I could keep up with the best of them. So I fought to do it. I felt so insecure the whole time I was there. I didn't really have any friends. They were older than me. Uh, I never necessarily felt like I fit in, but I loved the experience. It was something that uh, was opened up to me. And I knew that when I got older, this needed to be a part of who I was and, um, and my life. Didn't continue to go to the church must after that, but I kept my faith. And I think it was really important that I, I had the faith because I was just so miserable as, as a kid. Um, it was a very painful and crucial time in my life, and I felt very defective. Uh, I was very skinny. I was not athletic. I didn't have a lot of friends. I felt isolated. I felt rejected. I was the kid that used to walk around unknowingly with the kick me sign on my back. And um, I really think that having a tiny little bit of faith knowing that there was some type of higher power, God, whatever out there that somehow had a plan for me. And if I just followed and stuck with that plan, that I would be okay. And I really think just having that little tiny bit of faith definitely kept me from killing myself during that time because it was such a dark and lonely period for me. I felt like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle that fell into the wrong box. And you could relate that with being in my family. You could relate that with being in my school. Everywhere I went, I always felt like I didn't belong and I was the, the odd person out. And I often would ask God, and I would often journal about this, which is, why me? Why am I in this family? Why do I have such a horrible... Um, 
father? Why is there so much detachment? Why, when I look at other families, they seem like they have it all together. They're happy. They go camping. They do all this stuff. Why me? Why, why did I get bad eyesight and have to wear glasses? Why did I get more acne than other people? Why did I have to wear my braces, you know, a year or two longer than everyone else had to wear their braces? I really was stuck in that victim role because I couldn't understand why my life was so unfair. So I think I actually was starting to work the steps before ever getting into the program because I was kind of working a step three in that I was trying to turn everything over to faith. And I got through the teenage years and I started to build a little bit of self-esteem in college. And in my early 20s, I was challenging my, my career course. Things weren't really going the way that I had hoped that they'd be going. Uh, I wanted to be an actor since I was a kid and that was something I was really pushing for. But I show up at an audition and there'd be 150 other guys that looked just like me. So it was so competitive and I wanted something more stable. So I was feeling a little bit disappointed and having to walk away from something that I wanted so badly and didn't necessarily know where I was going to go. I had three people ask me in one week if I would go on a bike ride with them. And at that point, I realized if I wanted to do a trip like the one I did when I was in junior high school, I couldn't wait for other people to make it happen. I had to do it for myself. So I actually, when I was 20, got on a plane and flew to San Francisco and rode my bicycle back down the coast. That's all I ever wanted to do. That was it. Did it, been there, done that. I did meet a couple guys on the trip that I rode with, um, one the first half and then the other the second half. And when I said goodbye to the guy at the end who was going to continue down to San Diego and then fly over to Hawaii and then other places, I really felt like I didn't have to stop. Like I could keep on going. So a couple of years later, in my early 20s, I had the, the first person I met on the trip. He called me up and told me he was riding to Florida and asked me if I wanted to ride there with him totally out of my, my scope of being. No. A couple of days later, I was cycling down in San Clemente, California, and I met a guy who was from Canada who was cycling to South America with a guitar strap to the back of his bicycle. And he said, would you like to come with me? Sounds amazing. No can do. I can't leave the safety of my house. I can't leave the safety of my dysfunctional environment. Because yes, in my early 20s, I was still living at home with the dysfunctional family. A couple of days later, another friend from Chicago called me up and said, would you like to ride to Chicago next summer? And this is where I think I took a leap of faith. And I just said, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to go all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And at that moment, I made up my mind that I was going to do something monumental. My career wasn't working. I was going to change gears, had no idea what I was going to do. I was going to pack my bicycle, roll out of my parents' driveway, and not stop until I reached my destination, which ended up being Boston, Massachusetts. And this was really a big step in, in my development, in me growing and developing a sense of who I was and a sense of self-confidence. 
uh, and seeing myself through the hospitality that other people gave to me. Uh, there were times when I would be camping uh, with my friend. There were, there were actually three of us that started, but one at a time for various reasons, they ended up stopping the journey. And uh, there were times when people would come up and they would invite us to, to, to come over and stay in their house and to take a shower and they would feed us. And I would just feel so horrible. It's like, why would they invite me into their house? I am filthy. I am dirty. Why would they want somebody as dirty as me to be in the shower? And I always wanted to make sure the shower was cleaner when I left it than when I found it because I was just so insecure. And there was actually a time when we were cycling through South Dakota and I was with just one friend at the time and he was from Chicago and he said, um, I'm looking at the sky and these two clouds that are about ready to come together and we're not going to make it to town and all hell's going to break loose. And you're from California and you don't know what weather is. We're stopping at the next farmhouse and asking if we can seek shelter. I thought he was nuts. I was waiting for somebody to come out with a gun and shoot us for doing that because that's just not something that I was ever raised that you would ever reach out for help from anybody like that. And the interesting thing is the, the, the farm couple where we stopped, uh, they let us camp in their machine shed. They said that the weather, there were tornado warnings. So they said stopping was the right thing. They had just eaten dinner, but they invited us in for dessert. And the next day they fed us this huge breakfast. And in my dysfunctional thinking, I was waiting for them to say, you know, why did you pick us out of all the other farmhouses here? But what they said to me was, wow, out of all these other farmhouses, you picked us. And um, it was very humbling for me. And I stayed in contact with them. So after the trip, I would uh, had a thing where everybody that helped me out, I gave them a postcard at the end to let them know that I uh, survived the trip. And I would send them uh, Christmas cards. So I stayed in contact with this family. And this trip, even though my friends didn't make it all the way to Boston, I had such an amazing trip. The weather was getting cold and it was almost like, God, the universe signs were telling me, you know what, um, you need to end the trip early. However, there's always next year. So I ended the trip two weeks early to be home to surprise my mother for her 50th birthday, knowing that I was going to be shooting off again for another four months the next summer to do something similar. Now, the hospitality really was overwhelming, and there were times where uh, people would just show up and uh, talk to us in a restaurant, and we'd go pay the bill. Uh, the cashier would say, you know, the people you were talking with, they paid it for you. Or we'd be camping in a park, and kids would come over and talk to us. And before we would go to sleep, the kids would come back with slack lunches for the next day. And they'd say, you know, or we told our moms about you and they don't want you to be hungry. So here's lunch tomorrow. And I had budgeted myself enough money to get myself to Chicago to my friend's house. Because this is back in the day of uh, traveler's checks. I didn't have a credit card back then. Big deal, but I didn't have one. When I rolled up to Chicago, I rolled up with a dollar and change in my wallet. That is how close my budget went. And because of the hospitality of all the people I met along the way. So in between uh, trips, uh, 1985, 1986, I actually got an application for a credit card. I got approved. 
And I filled it out and I was so excited because to me, this is a rite of passage. I'm, I'm an adult, I have a credit card. And I filled it out and I was riding my bicycle to the post office to put this in the mail. And as I started riding to the post office, I started having a panic attack like I'd never had before. And I couldn't figure out why. To the point when I got to the post office, I was almost in tears. And I knew that, you know, God or universe, something was trying to talk to me and say, don't do this. And my will, I'm arguing, you know, but hey, I got the opportunity to do this. You know, I'm an adult now. I can have a credit card. And what I got smacked down with was I took care of you last year. I got you all the way to Chicago to where you didn't have to, you know, call home for extra money or anything. I got you back home safely. Why do you not think I would take care of you now? And it was interesting because I ripped up that application and the anxiety went away. So forward, you know, a couple months, another group of friends, another cross-country trip, a little bit different route. Um, did it with uh, a sense of community service in mind. So I made it a point to every week stop at a different church. Didn't matter the denomination. Uh, the more different, the better, because that way I could learn about how different people live and worship and what their beliefs are. And um, we had this shirt made. So I'm wearing a shirt from 1986. It says, uh, join the team. I'm surprised that I can still fit in this shirt because I'm probably 40 pounds heavier now than I was Back then, when I uh, was about 128 pounds riding my bicycle cross country and eating every four hours and not gaining any weight back. And once again, uh, my, my friends didn't make it the entire way. And I understood all the reasons why they didn't. Uh, each, each person had their own struggle and when they reached a certain point, they went as far as they could go and turned around. Yet I felt a huge sense of depression each time. And looking back now, I can see where that was just my core abandonment issues. And I knew they weren't leaving me, but I still felt defective. You know, Why can't I be a normal person with a normal hobby and travel in a normal way where, where people don't leave? Okay. Didn't stop me. I, I continued each time on my own and I kept growing and more experiences happened to me. Uh, spent a night in a polygamous colony in Utah one night, which was interesting. Um, just had so many different random encounters of hospitality. And uh, I was nearing the end of the trip. I was on the East coast and I was heading I had, um, I had mapped the trip out back then. We didn't have email or anything like that. So I mapped the trip out and I would get care packages, general delivery. So I kind of knew where I was going to go and I hit different post offices and friends back home knew where I was going to be so they could send me cards or cookies or care packages. And I had a course and I was heading through Winchester, Virginia. And as I was crossing an intersection, I realized that that was the closest I would ever be to Washington, D.C. And as I crossed that intersection, I had that same sense of anxiety that I had when I went to the post office with uh, um, the credit card. And I didn't want to go to Washington, D.C. That was never that was never on my radar. I had no desire to go. 
But every mile I pedaled past that intersection, I grew more and more anxious. I sought churches. I went into one church and I'm running up and down this church like a madman trying to find somebody to talk to. And there was a woman vacuuming and told me that, you know, the pastor wasn't there. So I got on my bike and kept on riding the road to the next church. And I finally found a pastor and I'm talking to him and I'm crying. And he just looked at me and he said, if you feel like you're being called to go to Washington, D.C., go to Washington, D.C. So he told me that I didn't have to backtrack, that I could actually go to a city called Harper's Ferry, which was not too far from there. And that there was a youth hostel. I could stay there and take the train in to town. And on the way there, I stopped at another church for directions just to make sure I was on track. And these people were very supportive and said, you know, why don't you spend the night here and we'll drive you and we'll put you on the train to Washington DC tomorrow. If you feel like you have a calling, we will support that calling. And um, so they did. And when I came back the next day, they asked me, you know, did, did you have this intense calling? Did, you know, did everything, it's like nada, you know, it was, there was no spark. Couldn't understand why I went to Washington. Couldn't understand what the whole thing was all about. But we were talking and I had mentioned to them, I had set certain goals for my trip. And one of the goals was I had seen the movie Witness before the trip. And I, couldn't believe that there were still people like Amish people living in our society today. That just really boggled my mind. So one of the goals I had on the trip was to uh, meet Amish people. And this couple, the pastor and his wife were a young couple, and they looked at each other and said, you know, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Um, there's a family that we know that we went to college with the son, and they're not Amish, but they're Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, old order Dunkard brethren, and they would probably love to, to host you for a few days. So they called and made arrangements for me to stay with this old order Pennsylvania Dutch family. And I changed my course and rode up through Maryland up to Pennsylvania and walked into this entirely different community than anything that I was I was used to and walked into the beginning feeling like a fly on the wall because there was just so much activity happening in the kitchen that women were cooking uh that the it was a greenhouse business all the men were out in the greenhouse business there were babies there were kids there was just so much activity and I really didn't know what to make of it and it took me a while to really absorb things and I didn't even know if I felt welcomed or not because it was so much activity going on but one night they took me to a um, church uh, activity event where other churches were there and they introduced me to some friends of theirs who lived in Lancaster County, which has a lot of Amish people. And the friends basically said, we have horse and buggy Mennonites across the street from us. So why don't you, when you're done with this family, why don't you come and stay with us and we'll introduce you to the horse and buggy people, which I did. And once again, I ended up in Boston, had an amazing trip, really grew, and I grew from the experiences, I grew from meeting the Pennsylvania Dutch, and at that point in time, I realized what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wanted to be a therapist, because I really enjoyed talking to people. I really enjoyed listening to people's stories. And as I listened to people's stories, I would become a part of them and just felt this amazing connection that I'd never felt in my life before. So I went to school to be a therapist. 
got my bachelor's degree, started working in the field, went back to school, got my master's degree. And in 1994, I told my boss, I said, you know, once I graduate with my master's degree, I'm taking the summer off. I'm going to ride my bicycle cross country again. And um, I want to reconnect with some of the people that I had met. And I had remained in contact with several of these families. And in 1994, I hopped on my bicycle again, and I rode back to Boston. And I had a friend who was going to join me for the first half of the trip. And after a week, he came to me and he said, I can't do it. I'm homesick. I just can't do this. And he hopped on a plane and flew home. But it was interesting because I didn't go through that depression. I didn't go through that homesick um, abandonment feeling. And I kept waiting for it to happen. It's like, I know it's going to happen because it happened every other time. And it didn't. It made me realize I've worked through some of this stuff. You know, I've had faith. I know that, that there's so many other amazing things happening to me on this trip. And after a few days, I started to get bored. Um, I had amazing things to see in the West. But once, once I hit, um, you know, the barren straits of Wyoming, I thought, you know, if I ride 100 miles a day, I can get to the East Coast sooner and I can spend more time with these families that I had met. And that's exactly what I did. And something magical happened when I returned, because when I came back with these families, I became family. I became not just a cyclist who they hosted once. I returned. I was family. And there's a family in Virginia, a fam uh, three families in Pennsylvania that I go back and I visit every December now because I've watched their kids grow up. I've watched their grandkids grow up. And they're my, my family of choice. And when I look back now on what happened in that intersection in Winchester, Virginia, I really can see now that it wasn't, that God's plan wasn't to get me to Washington, D.C. It was, that had nothing to do with it. I believe there was some divine intervention basically saying, you need to meet these people. And I'm going to shift your course and change things so that you meet them. Because in changing who I am, it also changed who I am as a therapist and how I do therapy. And growing up without a sense of community and a sense of spirituality, seeing this in other people and, you know, everything that, that, that they stand for doesn't necessarily work for me, but I take what I can from it and I have grown immensely and I do feel incredibly a part of these people. And in letting go and practicing step three, I think that allowed me to make these changes. And in program, I really believe that people rush through step three too quickly. They just say, okay, I've made a decision. I'm, gonna, I'm going, going to turn my will over to God, the universe, whatever. But I really see it as acknowledging every time we try to put control back in our hands because our self-will will get us into trouble every time. And today I still practice this and I still really try to work a strong step three, 10, 11, and 12. And I just returned on Sunday from a bicycle trip because it's who I am, it's what I do. And I flew with a friend to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I just rode 600 and something miles from Knoxville through North Carolina to Savannah, Georgia. 
and it was hot. It was humid. And people were freaking me out, telling me there's uh, there's no shoulder. People drive crazy. There's rumble strips. It's hot. It's humid. Uh, I wanted to give up. I wanted to rent a car. But I kept hearing the voice of uh, one person who did host me at the beginning of the trip. He kept saying, but you're going to be okay. And that's what I chose to listen to. And when I wanted to pull things back on my own, I realized I, I needed to let go instead. Uh, I was the one who had Google on my phone, giving me directions and guiding my friend. And there were a couple of times on the trip where he wanted to go somewhere and he knew where, where he wanted to go. So I said, well, you know where it is, you put the Google in. And I found myself having a difficult time letting go of my control issues and following him. But every time I noticed that, I would remind myself, let it go. I made the choice saying, here, you guide us. And in making that choice, I had I'm to good. fall. Okay. Fall I'm and once again, I had an amazing trip. And all the scary stories and things and things that I was afraid of never happened. Um, not that I wasn't cautious, not that I, I was carefree, but I was able to, to let go. And um, so I still, I still practice that today. One of the things with my, my first two cross-country trips is uh, I wanted to write a book about it, and I did. So I wrote a book while I was in grad school about the story of my, my cross-country journey. And when it came time to do something with the manuscript, I had no clue. I didn't know how to publish. I didn't know what that meant. And I let it go. And in the back of my head, there was always a sense of um, sadness and, um, and regret that I never followed through with that. But recently, I've realized that there was a reason for it. You know, once again, it's like if you wait long enough, you get the answers. So I had uh, written a couple therapy books and published them through Amazon. And once again, when I wrote the first one, I almost gave up on it. And so someone said, you know, just, just, just take the leap of faith and do it. So knowing that it's possible, I decided to dust off the first manuscript and uh, do the same thing with that. However, in reading it, I realized that uh, that I needed to rewrite it, I needed to edit it. And in the process, it's almost like I'm doing another fourth step because I'm seeing all my character defects. There was so much stuff that, um, that I really wasn't aware of, of how it was bleeding at the seams during that time. Even though I was growing immensely, my self-esteem was growing, there was still a lot of character defects. So in, in dusting this manuscript off and reading it, it's like reading an old journal and I'm seeing who I was and uh, some of the stuff I cringe at, some of the stuff I, I realize I have a lot of uh, amends to make to some of the people that I was writing with for that. But I also can see the growth. And I think that's the important thing is just seeing how everything, if you wait long enough, comes full circle. And if you keep your eyes and ears open to the universe and what the universe is saying, it starts to make sense. And to this day, I feel like there are times when my higher power is tapping me on the shoulder and just saying, 
don't forget I'm still here. I gotcha. Uh, when I rode my bike cross country, I had a Sony Walkman and I had like five tapes to listen to. So I didn't have a large variety of music. And one of the tapes was an Ambrosia tape. And Ambrosia is a local band here from uh, South Bay, California. And it's interesting because they really weren't a really popular band, but to this day, I'll walk into a restaurant, a gym, supermarket, and I'll hear one of their songs on the radio. And it's almost like it's, it's you know, God pulling me back saying, hey, I'm still here for you. Um, last September, I actually did a bike ride across Europe and uh, went all the way to Zetar, Poland to ride a roller coaster. So tell me, you know, I'm, my inner child wants to ride all the coasters that I wasn't able to ride as a kid. And when I got on the bus to take me to the park, I was telling my friend how excited I was. And um, somebody sitting next to him, the 17-year-old kid on the bus in Poland, in perfect English, said to me, when you ride that roller coaster, you need to sit on the back left seat. That's the best place to sit. And I looked at him and I said, it's funny that you should say that because somebody on social media said that to me about two months ago. And he said, I know that was me. And I looked it up and it's like, are you Derek? And he says, I am. And I just kept thinking, you know, what are the odds? What are the odds? There's got to be, you know, some, some divine intervention out there. That was just too, too freaky. So when I start to doubt, when I start to doubt myself, I always have to remind myself of these events and know that, um, Things come full circle if I if I let go and I trust in you know a heavenly father or a heavenly parent to get me through. And looking back in my life now, coming from a place where everything was why me, why me, why am I this this scrawny little kid that has no friends? Now I have the answers. Now I can look back and I can see that by by having faith, by you know turning my will over to a power greater than myself, that, you know, things got better and things make sense. And, you know, I needed to be that scrawny little kid. I needed to be the person that came through that dysfunctional family and have all that pain to be the man who I am today, to be the therapist I am today. Uh, to be the member, um, actually served on the board of the International Bicycling Committee, you know, to be that person today. Um, I'm very proud of who I am, and I'm very proud of that little kid and, and who that kid became because having faith paid off. And I'm very proud in being here with y'all tonight. So I would say that my topic would be you know, have we, have we let go of our will enough to be able to find the answer to why me? So that's my spiritual journey, which is ongoing. And thank you for letting me share.